My name's Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope, and today we are starting our summer series of talks called Chomp. Turn to your neighbor and say Chomp. Chomp, 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 chomp. And we are so excited for all the fun with focus that we get to have right here at Hope Church every single weekend. Come on, we believe church is to be enjoyed, never endured. That God is good and his mercy knows no end. Do we just give it up for all the creative teams today that make these experiences possible? I think it's incredible. It's inspirational. Thank you, teams, for giving your very best to reach people every single weekend. Did you guys like the shark mouse you came into today? About to be chomped. Well, I hate to start you out in the middle of a story. Don't you hate coming in middle movie, mid-movie, right? Well, today we're going to start in the middle of a man's life named David. And for those of you who might not know King David or the Bible that well, you might perhaps think that this might be the only thing you've ever heard about in his life, but it's not. You know, some people talk about it as if it were, because lots of people have this tendency to magnify your mistakes and forget your successes, uh, but they call this big story we're going to look at David's sin or David's mistake, as if David had no other sin and made no other mistakes. But this is David's debacle today that really threatened his destiny, okay? It's his mistake. It's his miss, and it's his mess that became worldwide known for David and his life. And uh, we get to see how David dealt with his debacle, how he dealt with his disappointment, how he dealt with things that didn't go well, and how he overcame it. Because I've found that it doesn't matter what you go through. It matters how you respond to what you go through. It matters your response to what happened to you. And there's somebody here who's gone through what you're stuck in. Do you know that? That's why community is so powerful. There's somebody here that has gone through what you're stuck in, and they survived it, and now they're thriving it. And the question is, what did they do to make a success out of their mess? What did they do to flip the mess and create success? Because today you might still be searching, hungering for hope, hungering to get whole, hungering to get healed, hungering for something that you haven't quite found yet, still haven't found what I'm looking for. Stuck in the mud of something that somebody else figured out how to spin and make a positive out of a negative. The Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, King Solomon, he said, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. You're not the only one. Somebody's been here before. Somebody figured out how to get stuck and spin what's, what you're stuck in. Does that make sense? And today we're going to look at that and see what we can learn from David and his disappointment for ourselves. Are you ready? to jump mid-story. Let's pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 6, uh, 15. It says this, And Nathan had gone, Nathan's the prophet, Nathan had gone home. The Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had been born to David, and he became ill. So his wife had a baby, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. She had a baby, and David has a sick kid, seven days old, not even. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying inside cloths on the ground. Call them sackcloth and ashes. The elders of the household stood before him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. And he would not eat any food with them. He stopped chomping. Not a bit, not a bite, nothing at all. Nevertheless, on the seventh day, the child died. So David is fasting. David is not eating. David is rolling around in sackcloth and ashes, trying to move the heart of God in neither way. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while well, the child is still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. 
How can we tell him that the child is dead? He might do something crazy. This is desperate, David. This is crazy, David. Who knows what he will do if we tell him the child is dead? David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Verse 20. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed. He put lotion on, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He went to church just like you did this morning. Come on. I'm excited about that decision you made. You got up on the 4th of July and you went to church. Then after he went to church, that's, that's, that's a really good spot. If you're going through hell, don't not go to church. Go to church. You think it's hard and people are like, oh, I got to stay away because my life is really, really destructive, right? No, actually, come. Those are the best moments to go to church. He's going through hell. He's really disappointed. He's really hurting. And he goes to church. Then after he went to church, he went to his own house. And at his request, they served him food and he ate. His attendants asked him, what is up with you? Why are you acting this way, King David? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and chomp? You get up and eat? Today, I want to talk to you from the subject, feed your future. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, feed your future. Come on, tell him with some conviction, feed your future. And I think of Scott's lawn guy, you know, the guy with all the lawn. He says, it's your lawn. Feed it. Today I want to say, it's your future. Feed it. Yeah. Tell your neighbor, it's your future. <laughs> Feed it. Feed it. Hey, we're calling this series Chomp and taking a deep dive into appetites, okay? We're deep in dive and diving deep down into the appetites because your appetites determine what advances in your life. Did you realize that? Whatever you're hungry for, you tend to feed on in life. And like anything in life, you usually get whatever you go after. What you're hungry for, you feed on, and you usually get what you go after. That's why it's important to pay attention. Everybody say, wake up. Pay attention to your appetites. Oftentimes, we bump through life not really giving consideration or thought. We just get hungry and we eat. And sometimes we'll settle for second best because we just eat whatever's available or whatever's fastest or whatever's most convenient. But really, we need to pay attention to our appetites. Get a little picky, a little Karen-ish, right? Like, what are you eating? Is that whole grain beef or is that like <laughs> whole grain beef? I don't know. Grass. Is that grass-fed something? You know, sharks have no attention to appetite. They just eat anything. Sharks are known for eating almost anything, especially tiger sharks. When attacking, tiger sharks often eat their prey whole, like in one big chomp. And because of this aggressive feeding, they often just go for it and end up eating junk. So they think it's a fish, or they think it's like a jellyfish, or they think it's something. And they just chomp down on it, and it's actually a hunk of junk. And they get junk lodged in their trunk, for real. Sharks are sometimes called the garbage cans of the oceans because they literally will chop on anything. Tiger sharks have been found with cans and license plates and bottles and whole tires and chicken coops, like the, the coop of the chicken. Even this, boat anchors and unexploded bombs. You know, like mines? They just chomp on the mine and it's sitting in their stomach, for real. It's crazy what sharks will chomp on, and they even handle these things in their stomachs sometimes for years, swimming around with, like, Big old fish hooks and big old anchors lodged in their stomach. 
There's this one shark I was reading about. I'll give you a little detail. He had like this fishing hook where he went up to get some chum and he obviously took the whole hook with him. And all of a sudden, he had like this protrusion coming out of his side over here. He had it in his body for three years. They tracked and traced this thing coming out of his side. And it literally like came out of his stomach, grew out of his stomach. Isn't that crazy? Because sharks will just eat anything. I want to tell you, appetite determines advancement in your life. And it's important to take inventory of what you're feeding on so you're not like a, a trash chomper, okay? David has hundreds of wives at this point in his life. Beautiful women all over his home. Lots of beautiful women. But out of curiosity and craving, he develops an appetite for one of his friend's wives. Okay? Hundreds of wives. And out of curiosity and craving, he develops an appetite. For one of his friends, wives. He sees Uriah's wife, Bathsheba is her name, and she's bathing coincidentally. Okay, so he got Bathsheba in a bath, and he's up when he should be out to war. He's looking around, and he sees this beautiful woman that's not his in a bath on top of her roof. He's like, hmm, I got a craving, and I'm a little curious. And because of his appetite, he pulls her into this adulterous situation. And so that started advancing in their lives. Because whatever your appetite is, that's what advance, advances in your life. And then she got pregnant, so that started advancing. That whole nine-month thing started moving forward and advancing in their lives. And now they're in a situation where David has got a baby coming through one of his staff members. And that's advancing because appetites direct advancements. And sometimes bad gets worse when you try to fix it. Anybody ever been there? Try to fix a problem, and it gets actually worse. You just left it alone. So David decided, I'm going to bring Uriah in off the battlefield and give him a break so he can hook up with his wife. And maybe, just maybe, this could be like their baby and not like our baby. <laughs> and no one will ever really know for sure. So let's get, his, let's get his butt home to be with her and it'll be wonderful. And boom, problem solved. I'm just solving my problems. But Uriah was so committed to David that he wouldn't sleep with his wife. He said, why should I enjoy the bed of my wife and the comfort of my home if the men are out there sacrificing their lives on the battlefield? Send me back to the battlefield. And he slept on his front porch. And so now that advanced. And David's so hungry, he decides, I'll send that same loyal man to the front line so he'll get killed in battle. I'll give him instructions, his own death sentence. He'll carry it to the general. The general will say, all right, we're going to advance on the orders of King David. And then when the enemy comes, we're all going to pull back and leave Uriah out there. And so that advanced. So now David goes from an adulterer to a murderer. <laughs> and as far as everybody's concerned, he's getting away with it. But your appetite not only determines what advances in your life, it gets the attention of God in your life. My Bible says that my God is a jealous God. He, he craves for my cravings. He wants me to love him and honor him and put him first. And so now he has the attention of God, even though he's trying to ignore the fact that he's doing some pretty crazy stuff because he's hungry. And what no one saw for sure, God was sure to see. In Adam's life, or I'm sorry, in David's life. And God has now judged David's sin through a prophet named Nathan who said, God sees it and it's not going to fly. The baby is going to die. Prophet Nathan Seuss, okay? God sees it. He sees what nobody else really sees. I mean, kind of see it, but not sure if they see it. And he's not going to let it fly. That baby's going to die. And so you meet David in a mess of his own making, praying for God to change his mind and save this baby that's dying. He wants his problem to live on. And say, God, have mercy on this baby. 
David stripped himself. He's lying around on sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth is itchy. Ashes represent death. And he's meditating, saying, I want my past to be set free. He stopped eating altogether, trying to get health and hope into the situation that he created. So he's starving himself. And they've never seen a king act like this before. They think he's going crazy. I mean, after day one, and he's rolling around on the dirt and sackcloth and ashes, he's not sleeping, he's not eating. Day two, day three, if you're not the king, we're, we're getting a bus. We're going to take you to a certain place. We're just going to help you out a little bit because something's being lost. We think it's his mind. Seven days of insanity. They've never seen their king so out of control and grieving and crying and hysterical because David has gone to the place where all wholehearted people go when they hit this moment, this roadblock. I'm talking about intense people. Where, all, where are all the intense people at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are all my intense people at today? Yep, we, we can't do things like other cool people can because we're intense. If we're decorating Christmas cookies, it's important. We focus on it. It's like these Christmas cookies are going to be amazing. The frosting's going to be spread evenly. The sugar's got to be just right. Don't sprinkle too much over there. I want it to look like the star of David when I'm done with these Christmas cookies. Why? Because we're intense. I don't know. Carving pumpkins, same problem at my house. It's like, just give dad the knife. I will make this better. Because whatever we do, we do with extremes. Intense people are generally destined to do the incredible because they're so intense and detail-oriented over nothing. Intense people do these things intense ways, right? They just do everything intensely. And other people watching get nervous around intense, red, crazy people because David is intense. What's he going to do next? David is intense. He's intense. He's intense. Intense people can go crazy about something that doesn't even matter to normal people because greatness is determined by how you care about the details. I'm not saying these people are inclined to greatness. I'm just saying intensity sometimes can help you, also can hurt you. Everything seems important when you're intense. You work with intensity. You play with intensity. You suck up every last moment to the very end because you're so intense. I got back from my last vacation on the beach and in the mountains, and my wife said, you just maximized every moment on vacation with such intensity, honey. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I want to make it count. I'm very intense. If you haven't picked that up. When you're intense, you love with intensity. You fight with intensity. Yeah? And when you mess up, you mess up with? Yeah. I'm talking about intense extremists who are hungry, ready to grab life by the fin and just chomp on anything, baby. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Ready to take a bite out of life. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it with my whole chomp is unto the Lord, right? When David went to the battlefield, he was a killer. Everybody else was a watcher. He was so intense, he threw rocks at a man who was known for killing whole armies by himself. He threw rocks at him. Because when you're intense, you'll kill somebody with a butter knife. You'll find a spoon and be like, I'm going to kill you. He's talking trash to the terrorizer of nations in Goliath. Running at him with a rock and a strap of leather. When everybody else is hiding and he's intense, he's intense. And the same man who's intense over fighting giants was intense over fighting predators when nobody was watching and the stakes were just sheep. Because every last sheepish detail that belonged to his father was important to David. Even though Jesse rejected him, he cared about stuff that wasn't his. Check out the last series. It's a setup for promotion. 
how you manage what somebody else is given, and it's their stuff, not your stuff. He grabbed lions by the beard, killed them with his bare hands. He killed bears with his bare hands. Popped right in the head. He was an intense killer, but he was also an intense musician. He was so good at the intricacies of his instrument and music, he had an audience with the king at the age of like 16. He was an intense performer. You might not want to be on David's worship team because he would call you out. He was intense. (laughs) Got to get it right. He was an intense writer. He wrote poems and poetry. Most of the psalms and songs that we sing to this day was because of David writing them with such extreme intensity. He was an intense dancer. I mean, David danced. People said he danced too hard. He was too expressive. Your feet are moving. He was too hot to handle on the dance floor. Come on. We're going to dance camp next week. Too hot. Hot hot to handle. He was just as violent as he was artistically expressive. He could be by himself and be a creative, or he could inspire hundreds of men while facing a mutiny against his own leadership, flip it around, and take them into battle after they wanted to kill him and they're talking about destroying him in the very hour before. He was intense. He could be a killer or a creator or a fornicator that became a murderer. So extreme, so intense, whatever he did, I think we can all agree that David was hungry. He had a little less brown in him. You got to be hungry. He had an intensity. He actually had a healthy appetite that led his every action. I want you to know, point one, your appetite doesn't just lead what advances. It leads your actions in life. So if you're feeling lethargic, what are you hungry for? Maybe you don't have anything worth hungering after. Maybe if have a hard time motivating in life, like putting some action behind your ideas. You got to get hungry. Because whatever your appetite is, it leads to real action. We're not just a hearer of the word, deceiving yourself, but you're a doer of every word. And you act on things. You don't just dream about them. You don't just applaud truth in church. You go out and you act on it because you're hungry to live the word of God, not just think about the word of God. Another way to say it is the cravings lead to what you create. So if you find yourself in a mess, what craving led to that creation? What cravings? Your cravings lead to whatever you've created to the nth degree. He could have just had one night with Bathsheba and owned his mistake to his best friend, one of his good friends. No, now he's got to kill her husband and hide it because he's hungry for something more. With the same woman he destroyed her family with. And now he's covering his mistakes, right? Covering up, trying to fix it. And now he's intensely trying to fix his mess with God by starving and suffering in sackcloth and ashes. Because when you're intense, you can't just hope that things work out. You have to try with everything you got to move the heart of God and change God's mind. Good luck with that. He stripped naked, he covered himself with ashes, he stopped eating. You're rolling around on the floor crying for days trying to get it straight because you're intense. Everybody say intense. And when you're intense, your staff gets nervous. What's he going to do next? He's gone crazy. We don't know how to fix this because the same, <laughs> the same thing that works for you also works against you. So if you're finding all your identity and your intensity, stop it because it's not good. The same intensity that drives you can be the same intensity that destroys you. I've found that my intensity destroys and runs off a lot of great people. Stop it. Learn from it. 
And his staff is freaking out. His trusted military leaders are freaking out because David is unpredictable in his intensity. He killed Uriah, who was a man of integrity and honor, one of his best men. What will he do to me if I say the wrong thing, if I do the wrong thing, if I look the wrong way at him? Who knows what he'll do? He's coming unhinged. He's going off the rails. And they're whispering because they think David's going to kill them. And David perceives because every good leader is perceptive. Even though he's created this mess, he still can perceive. He might be acting like an idiot, like a lot lately, but he is not crazy, and he's not done. He's just intense. And he perceived that the child was dead, even though nobody told him, Lord, help me to know when things I'm trying to keep alive are actually dead. God, help me to see what you shut the door on quickly. So I don't put any more energy in trying to save what is really over. I don't know about you, but I want to know when the thing is dead. Because you know I'm intense. You know I'm hungry for something. You can't shake me from it. I'm like a bulldog. If I get a hold of it, I won't stop until it stops moving. God, help me to know. Help me to know when the child is dead. Right? I don't want to let go unless I know that it's dead. How about you? Help me to perceive because with me, it's like I'm wasting my faith. I'm wasting my fervor. I'm wasting my energy, my passion, trying to fix something that I ought to forsake. Have you ever tried to fix something that you should have forsaken? Trying to figure out something. What am I going to do next with something that's already should have been forsaken? Giving my focus to things that I should have forsaken. I don't want to put another day into trying to raise up something that God has rejected. Why am I trying to raise something that's been rejected? I want to work with you, Jesus, not against you. I want to work with you, Spirit of God, not against you. So if you've rejected it, I'm done trying to make it live. I want to flow in the direction that you're flowing. I'm tired of swimming against the current in my sharky reality because I want what I want, come hell or high water. Hungering for things that leave me hopeless and swirling in a shark current. So I got to ask, is the child dead? And they said to him, yeah, the child's for sure dead. All of a sudden, David reacts in an unpredictable way. I want you to catch this. Because they thought he was going to freak out while he's trying to survive. The baby's trying to struggle to survive. If we tell him the child is dead, he's going to lose it on us. But he didn't respond the way they all thought he would respond. See, some people only shout when God opens doors. But when you're smart, you shout when God shuts doors. Can I take a minute and just thank him for all the doors that he has shut? I want to thank him for all the people who left me, all the people who betrayed me, all the people that rejected me for the job I didn't get, the person I didn't marry, the house that wouldn't close, the owner that wouldn't sell it to me. I want to thank God for doors that were shut on the hunger that I had for sure and would have hurt me. Have you ever had a hunger that would hurt you, but you could only see it in hindsight? I'm so thankful that that thing broke up and that didn't work out and all those things I wanted so bad. See, we fight like hell to get what you're hungry for, but when you get it, you wished you hadn't gotten what you wanted when you got it. I thank God for every door that is closed and I surrender to his lordship. Because I think he knows me better than I know myself. And I think his plans for me are better than my plans for me. And I think his future is brighter than my future for me. 
And what he sees, I see through a glass dimly, but he's the author and the finisher. He sees beginning to the end. And I thank God for, sh- for stopping some doors, shutting some doors, closing some doors. So I didn't get what I wanted when I wanted and ended up not wanting what I got when I got it. Because every time God shuts the door, I know this about him. He will open up another. Come on, go ahead. Give him a shout of praise for all the times the doors were shut. Because every time, yes, every time one door shuts, God has got something better about to open up to you. I want you to believe this. If he shut one, he's going to open another. If he shut one, he's going to open another. Solomon is coming. King Solomon is coming. And if he shut one, he's going to open another. Abraham, if it's not Ishmael, it's going to be Isaac. Ruth, if it's not uh, Milan, it's going to be Boaz. Give you a little backstory. Milan is the guy who had trouble with the women. And she got, he died. And now she's divorced, a widow. And she gets her kingsman redeemer in Boaz. Because if it's not Milan, it's Boaz. If it's not this, it's going to be that. Ishmael was the work of Abraham. Isaac was the work of God. And if it's not Ishmael, it's going to be Isaac. Let them shut the doors that need to shut and open the doors that no man can open. Do the thing that no man can make happen. Come on. That's why you want to praise God in the face of shut doors. The Bible says, it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that you left me. It was good that it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. It was good. It was good. It was good. Come on. You're the God who works all things together for my good. See, David, in this terrible debacle is showing us how to deal with disappointment and it's good to know how to deal with disappointment because it comes to every single one of us not just losers but every winner has disappointments too as a matter of fact you can't even be a winner until you've been in a battle (laughs) it's hard to know God as the healer of the brokenhearted if you've never had your heart broken It's hard to know God that will raise you up until you've been beat down, broke down, busted and disgusted. It's hard to know God as a resurrector until you've been buried under something and you fell dead. Where he comes into your life and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And you got something out of it that nobody thought you'd ever get out of it because that was so dead. I mean, dead, dead. It's hard to understand celebrating freedom when you've never been in bondage before. I don't even want to get into how many people don't celebrate freedom because they don't know what bondage is. That's why every once in a while here at Hope Church, we get up and shout. That's why you see people around you standing and shouting. I know you think we're emotionally hype and a little bit crazy, but if you saw what God brought us out of, you'd stand up too. You'd praise him too. You'd get a little louder too. You'd have some independence too. Come on now. Because God has saved us and he's brought us a mighty long way. And where would I be without the grace of God? And what would I do without the shut door of God? And where would I be without God's hand on my destiny? Thank you, Jesus. Got something to celebrate, something to shout over, something to be glad and celebrate in this independence from slavery, this freedom from bondage that we found in a Savior named Jesus. And we're not crazy. We just know what we're saved from. That's why David said in Psalm 100, go ahead, church, make a joyful noise to the Lord. He said, serve him with gladness man these people are so happy it must not be real no we serve him with gladness we come before his presence with singing la 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 hey 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 open up my mouth say something to god enter into his gates with a thankful heart and into his courts with some praise man you're worth it jesus you're awesome jesus be thankful unto him and bless his holy name this is the david that wrote this come on no matter what we praise him 
face of defeat, disappointment, disillusionment, we praise him. So yes, the baby died, and David does not respond the way they thought he should respond. And David is trying to take us from disappointment to destiny. He's trying to take us from disappointment back to our destiny. Somewhere he went off. When he should have gone to war, he stayed at home and looked across the kingdom on a rooftop. And the only thing that closes the gap between disappointment and destiny is your decisions. If you want to be free on the 4th of July from a life of disappointments, from a life of despair and defeatism to a life of destiny, then you have to make a decision to change your desires. Decisions about what you desire and what you really want out of life. Do you want to live with this shadow hanging over you for the rest of your destiny? If anybody could have disqualified David, it was David. Because you did what to one of your best men? And you did what with his wife? And then you did what? <laughs> when, the, when the child was about to be born, you did what? What is your, you are unqualified. You are undeserving. You do not deserve this crown. And that's where, unfortunately, so many believers live. Right there in the death of their disappointments. Change your appetite. You have a decision to make. What are you going to desire next? Because the way to get from your defeatism to your destiny, your disappointment to your destiny, is to make up your mind to make a decision to desire something else. Come on now. Come on now. Change your appetite. Why? Because where your appetite leads, your actions follow. See, knowing that the child was dead relieved David of the obligation of trying to fix something that God had already finished. Because you cannot fix anything that's been finished by God. That's our second point today, to let go of control, to release you from carrying the bondage and the baggage for the rest of your life. You cannot fix what God has finished. Point number two. It's not a matter of talent creativity, resilience. It's not a matter of your intensity. I don't care how intense you are. The child is dead. D-E-D, dead. And if the door is closed, whether you feel like a winner or a loser is <laughs> determined how you decide to get up and eat from this point out. And if the child is dead, whether you feel like a winner or a loser, like a loser who just did what to who and huh, yeah, what, 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 no matter what you feel like, it's determined how you decide to get up and desire from here on out. Get up and hunger from here on out. Get up and stir an appetite from this moment forward. Will you give your attentions to these appetites this time around? Or will you just keep living by whatever comes next? Or will you desire something that determines your destiny. Will you make a decision to finally, for once in your life, give attention to your desires and not just run with anything that moves? Sharks, they'll just chomp on anything that moves. Some men, they'll just chomp at anything that moves. Two legs and a brain, chomp on it. Are you going to change your desires? Come on. Or you'll be the same dumb shark that chomps into another anchor that will inevitably weigh your life down. You've already digested one anchor. Do you want another one, David? It dumbfounds me how many Davids just keep chomping on anchors and acting like they're going to float freer. Who 
who's going to be the person who says, this is dumb. I'm not a dumb shark. I'm not just going to go chomp on another old bomb that will explode in my life, explode myself apart. You keep eating bombs. You keep swallowing anchors. What do you think is going to happen? Make a decision to desire something else, a freedom that you've never seen before. Come on, a freedom. It's crazy how many people chomp hook, line, and sinker to anchors and bombs right after they just escaped something that almost stole their destiny. You just dodged a bullet when you got out of his bed, and yet you're jumping into that bed? What kind of shark appetite do you think you're worth? Get some value, not David. He said, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times. I am not that dumb. And if God has declared it dead, then declared done is what I do. If God has declared it dead, then I declare it done in Jesus' name. And I don't make decisions based on my disappointments from here on out. And it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that this kid has no place in David's heart that died. But it does mean it has to be dead and over from this point forward. You don't know how they hurt me. I can't just let that go. To your own detriment, you need to declare it dead and call what is done, done, and move forward. So today, I came to declare death over your bad ideas. Today, I came to declare death over your dumb decisions in your past. Ashes to ashes over that appetite that had nothing to do with God's purpose in your life. And dust to dust over that thing you devoted so much attention to that was stealing your destiny. But if I quit this abusive relationship now, that means the last seven years I was with him is a waste of life. Come on now. You can't see it like that. It's a win when you leave. It's a win when you are done. When it's declared dead. And until it's dead, it's dysfunctional. I came to pronounce death over that thing that reminds you of the thing that broke your heart. Whatever that abuse was, it's dead. Let it die. Quit putting on every man that looks at you like that. Let it die. But that's how I protect myself. Stop it. You can't protect yourself. Let it die. It's time to feed your future. It's time to feed your future. And in your future, not all men are dogs. And in your future, not everybody that sees you will hurt you. And in your future, hold on, you're not determined by the failures of your past. See, you got to get a vision for your future. Feed your future. Tell your neighbor, it's your future. Feed it. See, they thought that when David was told that the child was dead, he was going to freak out, but he didn't. He made a decision to move his faith, his energy, and his intensity towards his future. He made a decision to desire his destiny over his devastation. To desire his destiny over his dysfunction. To desire his destiny over his disappointments. What are you making a decision to do? Because decisions are more powerful than emotions. You might say, well, how could he do that? What a heartless, doesn't he care about his wife losing a child? Yes, but he knew the power of making a new decision based off a different desire. He said, this time when me and Bathsheba do it, we're going to do it right. This is a different desire that's stirring in me. 
A good decision will stop you from mourning and crying and whining and throwing up and not being able to sleep at night and insomnia. A good decision will chase your emotional trauma away every single time. Your decisions are more powerful than your feelings. I'm telling you, all you need to do is make up your mind in a different direction. Get a new desire. Pay attention to a new appetite. The prodigal son, he could leave the hog pen the very moment he made up his mind. I'm telling you, Saul can go from a killer of Christians to an apostle of the church the moment he makes up his mind. you telling me your baggage, you didn't kill anybody that now you're supposed to be leading, is bigger than Paul's? His name was Saul. He murdered people for a living. He stoned people to death. He burned them on fire. The guy was a mass murderer. And he wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. Why? Because he made a decision to desire something different. And you never see him once. Oh, I'm so sorry I killed all the Christians. You don't see Paul doing that. Why? Because he's set free. He's redeemed. It's under the blood of Jesus. He's not like, oh, man, I carry this burden and this baggage. No, he was one of the healthiest people. And just because of what you've done doesn't mean you have to live in dysfunction forever. This is the power of the blood of Jesus. This is the power of the redemption of your Savior, Jesus Christ. You can go from killing people to leading people by a decision that you make for a different desire, not based on your past dysfunction. This is for you. And to me, the question is, to me, the question is, what are you still trying to make? Why? Are you still trying to make a decision about what you're going to do over something that's already dead? I don't know what I'm going to do with my relationship with my daughter, is it dead? Well, that's just hopeless. No, it's actually freeing. And there's chance for redemption if you get out of this cycle. I said, why are you still living in the drama, acting like death and life hang in the balance when that whole situation is actually dead? Why are you trying to keep a friendship alive that's been dead for years? And you're just faking it together. It's been dead for a while now. Why are you trying to keep this issue of what happened between you and God alive when that thing has been dead for years? Literally, sometimes it's dead dead. Like, the person's dead. Like, you haven't seen them or spoken to them in six years. Why carry around the drama of all these dead things? Dead marriages. Dead relationships. Dead dreams. Dead deals where you're disappointed about it, but you should be thanking God for shutting that down. You're disappointed about the betrayal, but you should be thanking God that he stopped it when he did. Why are you focusing all your energy on these dead things when you could be pointing it towards your destiny? Forsake what is finished and keep moving forward into your future in Jesus' name. Come on, instead of freaking out over a dead desire, verse 20, verse 20 says this, David gets up. He washed himself. He puts lotion on. I'm like, what in the world? The Bible's telling us he put lotion on? Wait a minute. He moisturizes like that's important? Yeah. I guess ash and sackcloth really dry your skin out or something. I've never tried it. But he's, he's all dry. And he washes and he moisturizes. And then he changes his clothes. What is the Bible saying? Why the details? It's telling me that I have to have the faith to prepare for where I'm going while I'm standing where I am. 
It means it's not perfect now, but I'm making a decision to go into my future. I gotta have the faith to prepare even though it's not perfect where I am. I cannot go into my future dressed in my past. And if you want to catch this, nobody can wash it off of you except for you. I have to wash my own face. I have to decide. If the child is dead, I don't need these ashes all over my face anymore. I had dead, come on, I had dead ashes on my face because I was desiring dead things to stay alive. It was already declared dead seven days ago. And I had ashes on my face because I was trying to keep the marriage alive that was already dead. <laughs> but now I'm going to wash the remnant off of what I used to hunger after off my skin. So that when you look at me, you don't see me through my yesterday. You don't see my yesterday bleeding through in my today. Because I'm really free. Believe me, you want to wash your face. You want to wash it yourself because you can't walk into that new room carrying the defeat out of that old room. You can't walk into this new relationship sensitive about your last relationship, trying to convince the other person, I'm not your father and I'm not your ex. Wash your face and moisturize your skin because I want you to look fresh when you come into this fresh thing. I want you to look fresh when you walk into this fresh thing. Come on now. I believe some fresh things are coming into your life right now on this Independence Day. That's why God's saying, moisturize your skin. I don't want you to look tired. I don't want, you've been up for seven days. I don't want you to look tired. I don't want you to look worried. I don't want you to start everything apprehensive and feel full of fear and self-doubt like you do. I want you to be radiant and ready for what God is about to do in your future. I don't care how much energy you put in the past and how many years you made such and such mistake. God said when the desire changes, the direction follows. When the desire changes, the direction follows. When the appetite shifts, the advancement shifts. The action shifts. You're going to forget those things which are behind. Come on, Paul. And reach towards those things which are before you. Because it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's not to remember. It's not to be in baggage. It's to forget and reach and press towards your future. So in Jesus' name, come on, move forward in freedom this July 4th weekend. Declare independence from every dead thing that would try to hold you down and hold you back in this place. I declare independence from my past, which is valid and it really hurt people, which disqualifies me and really screws me up, but it doesn't anymore. I declare independence from my dysfunction. So David washed himself. He moisturized, he moisturized his face, getting refreshed and rejuvenated. He changed his clothes. And then he went to the house of the Lord. Best decision of your week. You came to the house of the Lord today. And it was at this point. Right here he says in Psalm 122, I was glad. Do you get glad when somebody says, let's go to church? He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go in the house of the Lord. Or do you get guilt filled? I'm so guilty. Haven't been to church in, uh, I get glad. I'm not guilt filled and neither should you. I don't care how many months you've missed. Get glad when they say, let's go to the house of the Lord. Don't let any demonic thing steal your destiny. Today is your day of deliverance. You're here today. Come on now. I'm preaching to the choir. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get excited. Nobody knows that you haven't been here in seven weeks. Come on. Let's go. I was glad. I, I, I want to be a part of a movement. I want to be a part of a church that gets glad. 
Let us go to the house of the Lord because he came to praise the Lord and to announce to the world it is over. I've had a shift. I've changed directions with a decision. You can no longer count on me to be that jerk I used to be. I'm not sad. I'm glad about it. See, you can decide to stay here and cry over what's not working. You can decide to mourn what coulda, shoulda, and woulda been. You can let disappointment dictate your decisions, and you can keep weeping over what you thought it had imagined to be. At the same time, you can say, well, I served the Lord. But I want to tell you something. You can't weep over it. You can't cry over it. You can't let disappointment dictate it and say you serve the Lord. You serve your own sob story. Well, I serve the Lord, but I'm depressed. No, you're serving your story from your past. You worship at the shrine of what you had in mind. Stop complaining and start praising. But I'm, I'm making the decision to go up to the house of the Lord, and things are shifting in my life. I'm not here to whine. I'm not here to tell you how terrible my last church was or these people who hurt me or what my dad did to me. I'm here to praise the Lord and say, I got a new desire in mind. I got a new destiny out in front of me, and I am not going to be defined by the dysfunction of my past. And this is the same verse, verse 4 in Psalms, where the tribes of the Lord go up. The tribes of the Lord go up. Some people think that church should be sad and bring you down. I'm sorry, not here at Hope Church. Well, if it's positive, it's not God's true holiness. I'm sorry. Church will not be sad and bring you down. I strongly disagree with that, and so does David. He said, I get glad when we go up to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go up to the house of the Lord, glad and up glad and up well this church is just too happy too clappy it can't be real no it's a choice i get glad and i go up that's the kind of church we want to be that's the kind of decisions we want to see people of hope make in the middle of their disappointments decisions to go up and be delivered from the downward spiral of depression like every other person without jesus Delivered from past defeats and even current despair. Yes, right now problems. Can anybody at Hope Church say, man, I was glad when they said, let's go up to the house of the Lord. I'm here. I'm glad. Come on. Every week you're going to leave empowered, inspired, motivated. You're going to say, man, God was better than I thought he was. Church wasn't what I thought it was. It's like Jesus is a gift with a lift. Church should be a place where you go get glad and you go up. It doesn't speak to the shallowness. It speaks to the victory that we've discovered in Jesus. In this world, we have trouble, but be brave. Get glad. Go up for your Savior. Jesus has overcome all your world of trouble. I declare you are now more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Blessed be the Lord your God who always leads you into triumph. If you make a graph of that, it's glad and it's up. So David goes to church. Welcome to Hope Church. He praises God past the hunger pains. I know you're hungry. Come on. I know you got different hungers, different appetites. Praise him past how hungry he is. He hasn't gone home and eaten anything. He said, I'm going to feed my spirit before I feed my flesh. Every single time I make a decision, I'm going to the house of the Lord before I go to my own house and eat my own stuff. I'm going to feed on the word of God, the ways of God, the thoughts of God. 
He comes home and he says, give me something to eat. And the server said, you don't make any sense, David. When the baby was alive, you wouldn't eat. Now he's dead and you found your appetite. Chomp, chomp, chomp. David says, you don't understand. When the baby was alive, I was starving my present because I was feeding my past. People in my present were starving because all I would do is feed my past for seven days straight. My marriage was suffering. All of my subjects were suffering. The whole kingdom was put on pause. Everything that would move forward was put on pause because for seven days I was starving my present because I was trying to feed and revive my past. Today I want to encourage you. Stop feeding your past and starving your present because your marriage is suffering at the hands of your hunger backwards. Because your kids are suffering from what happened to you when you were a kid. Stop feeding your past. Everybody's crying out for you in the room, Dad, to be present. Mom, to not carry all the weight and the worry, but be present. It's not as bad as you think it is. Starve your past. Today, point number three, instead, feed your future and fast your past. Fast is a word to say. Starve it. Point number three, Feed your future. Everybody around you is craving it, Mom. Everybody's around you is craving it, Dad. Everybody around you is craving it, teen. <laughs> Feed your future and fast your past. Quit giving so much credit to what happened to you. It will not determine your future. It has as much power as you give it. Cut it off today in Jesus' name. I'd like to say, it's hard. It's hard to give your attention to what God already gave you when you're chasing after what he didn't give you. You don't love where you're currently at because you're fixated on fixing where you came from. And right now, it seems like anybody who's in your present, they get neglected because you're not feeding your present. You're chomping on your past. Anytime you're feeding your past, you're starving the people in your present. Hey, are you fasting where you're from? I don't want to be more like where I came from. I want to be more like where I'm headed. Because I've been feeding my future. It's your future. Feed it. Feed the right thing. David eats. After he eats in the house of the Lord, he eats in his house. And he moves forward with the same woman, Bathsheba. Yeah. Like it never happened. And she conceives again. Not just any baby, but the future king. She conceives King Solomon, the wisest man, the richest man to ever live. And here's the final thought I want to leave you with today. Until you, until you start flirting with your future again, you're not going to feed the right thing. Instead of flirting with somebody else's wife, he starts to flirt with his own wife. Things have shifted. I know it seems dysfunctional. But what's dead is dead. And I'm moving forward now. He starts flirting with his future and he starts to feed the right thing and there's a king in your future. You just got to feed the right thing. I want to tell you, there's better things in your future than there were in your past. But you got to start getting in touch, getting connection, 
getting a vision of your future. Your best days haven't been lived yet. Your most productive years haven't happened yet. There is greatness in your future. There's a king in your future. You're about to give birth to something great when you feed the right thing. Come on, if you receive this word and you're ready to feed your future, stand to your feet and give him a shout of praise in this place. Our God is able to take the things that are not and turn them around and call them as if they were and they become we receive it we receive your mercy we receive your grace today God and we say the past is dead and over behold all things have been made new in Christ Jesus wash us redeem us restore us free us we're gonna feed our future in Jesus name everybody said